up on today's show. Wild weekend for anybody trying to get around Alberta, be it driving or flying. We'll also find out what's going on with COP27 now underway. We'll get some insight as to what that whole situation is about. And the last lunar eclipse for the next three years happens tonight. You may not get to see it, though. Okay, I want to get an update from um, Sandra Lund. Sandra is the Chief Administrative Officer at the town of Pinoca. First of all, Sandra, I I was telling the story about what your town went through this weekend, and so many people on the text line saying, hey, this is fantastic. This is, um, somebody says, did they have a plan that they had to invoke? If not, or doesn't matter, hats off to Pinoca anyway. Um, Somebody else says, way to go, Pinoca, making me proud to be an Albertan. Just tell us what happened. When did you start to realize that, okay, you might have to do some things this weekend? Well, good morning, Shay. We got a call um, late in the afternoon on Saturday from our first responders, and we knew at that time that we had about 15 minutes to get everything going as they had buses out there to pick up all the, the stranded travelers. So, you know, Pinoca is a really caring community, and when there's a need, like there was this weekend, everybody just really pulled together. We got everything set up so that those travelers had a warm and safe place to go shelter in. Um, was there a plan? Like when the, you know, the, the listener makes a, a good point. Did you have a plan that you could just pull out of the drawer and, and get started or were you flying by the seat of your pants here? Oh no, we don't try. We try not to fly by the seat of our <laughs> pants. We, we definitely have a plan. Uh, we provide emergency response under our emergency management plan yep. as well as with our, our regional partners. We work all together and we brought this together. So there was a plan in place. And it all come together really smoothly. In the end, it was about 80 people that you put up. How long did they have to stay and how long were you looking after them? Well, the the last of the travelers left our facility around 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, Some of them had contacts with friends and family who were able to leave that night. Uh, We had about 77 people that registered in total. And then, like we mentioned before, the hockey team that was here from yeah. the Sherwood Park, yep. they were put up by Centennial Centre for Mental Health and Brain Injury, which was a fantastic um, outreach for the hockey team. Um, and they had food, they had shelter, they were warm. It must be just such a relief to those travellers. Did you have a chance to chat with any of them? We did. We chatted with quite a few of them on and off throughout the evening. So they came and they, they stayed with the, the Cal Nash Ag Event Center, Shay, yeah. and the the vendor that runs the restaurant there, um, the Pony Express it's called, he and his family came in, they opened up and they served everybody hot coffee, sandwiches and soup throughout the evening. So there was a lot of visiting and everybody was very grateful. That is such a good story, Sandra. Thank you and thank you to your community for being there and stepping up the way that you did. That is so awesome. All right, switching gears now. Um, today's the day. Well, actually, yesterday was sort of the unofficial start, but today's the big day as more than a hundred world leaders and thousands and thousands and thousands of delegates have all arrived in Sharm el Sheikh, Egypt, attending the 27th, um, Conference of the Parties, COP27, as it's known. It's the, um, it's the annual gathering of countries from all around the world in the global effort to fight climate change. And of course, our federal government is there, um, with Environment Minister Stephen Gipol. Province also sent a delegation this time around, led by our provincial Environment Minister Sonia Savage. I think I read that uh, Edmonton's mayor, Amarjeet Sohi, was taking a delegation as well. Um, it's big. It's a big, big deal. It's kind of weird though, because I think COP26 last year in Glasgow was one of the first times that it really became major news, but, um, it's been going on for quite some time. So we're going to get some 
Insight as to what we might expect to see and what we've seen in the past from Gordon McBain, who's a professor emeritus in the Department of Geography and Environment at Western University. Professor, thank you for your time. I appreciate you being here as always. Well, thank you. That was good to talk to you, Shay. So, Gordon, uh, we've got COP27 now here. I, I think we all remember hearing about COP26 in Glasgow last year. That was a big deal. A lot of coverage, a lot of urgency. So it seems to me like these events seem to be growing in prominence year after year. Would that be fair? Yeah, certainly that's the case. The issue has been coming much more, well, first of all, it's been more dramatic in a sense, and it is more impacting, and it's also gaining much more, let's say, media and political attention. Um, I was actually the science minister's advisor in COP 2 and 3, <laughs> which were, in, as I recall, in Geneva and Kyoto. And uh, I think, the let's say, the Canadian delegation had two ministers and but no prime ministers and that kind of thing. It was a very lower level yeah. kind of thing, but very, you know, still very important, but nonetheless uh, not uh, as we're seeing now. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, it's been going on for a long time, but like I said, 120 world leaders expected to be there over the first couple of days at least, but thousands of delegates. So, so who else is there besides all the prime ministers and people who will be giving addresses today? Who else goes to these cops? Well, there are a lot of uh, representatives of environmental groups. Uh, a colleague of mine who's the advisor to the Canadian Assembly of First Nations is apparently going to be there because I just got an, an email from him saying he couldn't answer my email because he was at, off at COP27. Um, and uh, there will be, well, let's say, ones pushing for action. And I'm expecting, unfortunately, there will be ones who are trying to, let's say, delay action. Uh, the, uh, at least that's based on my experience in right. the past. The last COP I was at was the one in Montreal in 2005, and I can't remember which number it was. But <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, but these, you know, these are very important big events. Uh, they build upon the science results and things that come out of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and the recent statement from the World Meteorological Organization, the UN's major weather climate agency, uh, just put out a report that's part of this, you know, basically saying is that we are warming at a tremendous rate. This is probably, this last five years has been the warmest years on record. We're more than a degree warmer than we were in the 1800s. And the impacts of this are showing in both in the actual temperatures, but things like sea level rise, Do you have a great weather events, uh, storms, floods, hurricanes. And one of the issues that this COP is going to be addressing more, at least based on the media, I'm not there, I'm not planning, <laughs> I won't be there, um, is that the need to address the issue of what we call, well, basically climate change adaptation uh, the reality is that uh, the climate is warming already. It's not something of the future. It's, it's happening now, and the uh, inputs of all these greenhouse gases is such that if you think of it, carbon dioxide is the, the most important one in the sense of what we're talking about. And it stays in the atmosphere about 100 years, so... It's not what we're putting in this year that makes the difference. It's what we've done over the last hundred years collectively around the planet. And the result is that if we stopped greenhouse gas emissions tomorrow, the climate will still warm for the next few decades. 
but we have to do that because otherwise it'll warm for decades and decades beyond that and at an even higher rate of warming. Uh, so we need to, and as I understand it, there's a lot of pressure from developing countries, appropriately those who are being, let's say, poorer developed countries who don't have the resources, they're much more exposed in the issues of sea level rise, flooding, drought situations, whatever the issues are, uh, and largely speaking, they didn't cause it. You know, they Their ambitions are so small that it didn't make any difference, whereas the most of the emissions came from what you'd call the developing countries. I'm sorry, developed countries. Yeah, I think I heard something yesterday saying that, uh, you know, all of the countries in Africa, their global contribution to all of this is about 4%, um, but they face the most dire consequences from it. So uh, your point is well taken. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, that when I give talks, I often refer to this perhaps too complicatedly wise, but as being a, an issue of intergenerational and international equity and ethics. Now, what are we doing, as you say? I mean, the, the numbers as you just quoted, the the South African, well, the total numbers I've got on this map show Africa, total of Africa, 7%. North okay. America, 23%. Right, yeah. You know, and the Middle East, 2%. South, you know, uh, so if you add up uh, North America, Europe, Eastern Asia, and I, that's China, Japan, et cetera, or China, uh, you know, you're you're, at, you're close to a hundred percent. Well, you're over fifty percent yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, COP twenty six. A number of resolutions came out. We and we heard so much about the urgency and how we were out of time and we needed to act now and we need to do things. Uh, it was already too late. So where did we go on the COP twenty six resolutions? How are we? How are we going in terms of implementing what came out of this one year ago? Well, I don't think. I think the unfortunate reality is that we're not moving it ahead as we, as a lot of countries said they would do. I mean, Canada's uh, action on reducing emissions is been much promised, but not much delivered so far. We're still not moving any closer to where we need to be in terms to meet our own targets. Uh, we need to be reducing our emissions. The emissions in Canada are. 15 or 20, depending on whose numbers you believe, uh, tons per person compared to that of uh, an African or even even most of the European countries, Germany and France and those places are around 7 or 8 tons per person. And since you're in Edmonton, I can say that the Calgary, that the tons per person in Alberta and Saskatchewan are about 60 to 70 tons per person compared to Ontario and Quebec, which are around 10. Okay, uh, Gordon, I always appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for your time. Tonight is a big night for Skywatchers. If if the clouds part, let's keep our fingers crossed. Uh, according to the forecast, none of this may matter. But um, We have the full moon tonight, and as you know, we can't just have full moons anymore. We, we've abandoned that uh, recently. We now need to have super moons and blood moons and wolf moons and harvest moons. And Tonight, we're going to be treated to a full blood beaver moon. I don't know. I don't know why it's called all of those things, but that's what it is. Uh, in addition to this, uh, and really kind of special, this will be the last full lunar eclipse that will happen 
for the next few years. Like, you won't see this again until, I think, 2025. Let's find out for sure. We're going to chat with Orbax, who is a science communicator in the Department of Physics at the University of Guelph. Orbax, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time. No problem. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Not bad. I'm really hoping that the sky is clear because it sounds like it's going to be quite a night for sky watchers. It really will. I mean, like you had mentioned, it's your last chance to get that lunar eclipse in until March of 2025. So uh, we, we've got to hope. Fingers crossed for no clouds. <laughs> okay, a lunar eclipse. First of all, describe the science. What's happening? That's basically the Earth casting a shadow on the moon? It is. So in a solar eclipse, what happens is that the moon moves between the sun and the Earth. But in a lunar eclipse, the reason we see a full moon is because the sun's light reflects off the moon's face, and we see that big round moon in the sky. But uh, every once in a while, it lines up such that the Earth's shadow actually occludes that light from getting to the moon. So that's what we end up seeing. Now, the reason they call it a blood moon, as you mentioned before, is that when the light from the sun passes through the Earth's atmosphere, it gets scattered. And as it turns out, only the red light actually bathes the full moon in color. So when you see a lunar eclipse, what we're seeing is the red light that gets scattered and actually hits the moon. Gotcha. Okay, there you go. That makes sense. Now, here's one I was wondering, and I'm sure there's a simple answer that's eluded me. When, why are they so irregular and so rare? Like, why are we talking 2025? If, if our Earth is in an orbit mm-hmm. and the moon is in an orbit, why doesn't this happen every time they go past each other? Well, here's the thing is that not only do the, uh, the, do the orbits of the Earth and the Moon not always line up, but I mean, it's not always going to be nighttime for us when this happens. Okay. So it, it, it's offset just enough. It's kind of like, uh, to use an analogy, it's kind of like when you're washing your windshield wipers in front of you while you're driving to work and they flip back and forth, and every once in a while the two of them actually line up so they're going in time. Yeah, or they're on That's the beat of the song on the radio. Yeah, exactly. And then they kind of split apart for a while, and then they come back, and then it's like another 10 minutes, and they come back. It's kind of like that. We're so closely attuned with this position in the sky that it's, it just slightly offsets a little bit. And on average, it's about every one and a half to two years that you see this. But we've been lucky this year. We had one in May, and now we've got this one in November. And other lunar eclipses will be able to be seen on different parts of the globe. But for us in North America, we're not going to be able to see another total lunar eclipse until March 2025. Gotcha. Now, the one tonight is supposed to last for a few hours, right? So walk us through, because it changes as it progresses, right? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing. Now, this is going to be early in the morning. I'm, I'm located in Ontario, so we get it right before sunrise. Uh, but for you in mountain time, you're going to start to see a shadow on the moon from the Earth at about 2 a.m., just after 2 a.m. Okay. if the skies are clear. Now, what it'll look like is it'll look like a little bite taken out of the moon, just kind of what you would picture even in a solar eclipse, just a bit of a shadow on the surface of the moon. It won't be until about 3.16 a.m. mountain that you actually see the full eclipse. So what happens is that that shadow will continue to grow and encompass the moon. Very briefly, it'll be just super dark. And then almost immediately after that, it'll turn red. So you'll see a red-orange moon from about quarter after three to about 20 to five. So anywhere between that time, you should be able to look up and still see a somewhat dimmer illumination of the moon, but it, it completely in red. Okay. Um, yeah. And then about five, uh, it'll leave that region at about quarter to five. And then about 10 to six, you'll it'll go back to being a normal full moon. Okay. So your best time mountain is 
about two hours Probably in. So four a.m. Four a.m. Your best time. Yeah. And then if you miss so it either, tonight, either stay up late or get up super early. <laughs> <laughs> and if you miss it tonight, you're looking at a at a three year wait almost, right? Two and a half yeah, years. Yeah, pretty near. Yeah, two and a half years until the next one. So, or you could go to somewhere else on the planet and potentially see it. So <laughs> it's up to you, but you can either wait it off. But yeah, we were, uh, you know, the, the cloud uh, cover is is the number one yeah. enemy of any sort of stargazing. And it was unfortunate because the one in May, we sat out here in my backyard and I was waiting for it all to clear. And I had all my friends texting me pictures of this nice blood red moon. And as soon as it was about to happen, clouds <laughs> moved over and wouldn't break up. So I'm going to get up the extra couple hours early and try to catch it this time. Yeah, well, we're uh, we're supposed to be down around minus 20 tonight with clouds. So uh, fingers crossed that the forecast changes drastically <laughs> or we're going to have to wait for three years. <laughs> And, but in, in other news, you know, uh, NASA does often live stream these. If you go to the NASA website and you want to catch it after the fact or while it's happening, they'll often live stream them from different ob- observatories across the face okay. of the Okay. There you go. So, so you're not completely shut up. Yep, exactly. And the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada has uh, groups everywhere across the entire country. And if you're looking for other stargazers, it's a worthwhile thing to try to connect with them. And they can connect you with other people in your region who have telescopes, binoculars, things like that. That might be able to go out and uh, have a better chance at seeing it up in the sky. Very cool. Great stuff. Orbex, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.